Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Hey, Jeremy. You know, I was talking with one of my clients the other day, and they're implementing a reserves management system, and they told me it's going to take them six to nine months to get it installed. Six to nine months? I don't get it. What's the reason why the implementation would take that long? You know, I really don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like if you're buying a finished product, doesn't need a ton of customization, it really shouldn't take that long before you can actually use it. I mean, it's not like SAP. Yeah, it's definitely not an SAP type system. Um, you know, in fact, I just talked to a couple of good friends who were experienced in implementing reserves management systems, and they just released their first product called PDQ Decide. PDQ Decide. What is that? I have not heard of it before. Yeah, PDQ Decide is intended to be the first off-the-shelf product for end-to-end reserves and planning. It plugs directly into Aries and PHDWIN from basically the first hour with no code. So you basically, you're up and running in the first day you sign a contract. Oh, nice. Sounds disruptive, eh? Yeah, I think it's a game changer, especially for mid-market oil and gas companies. All right. Well, where can I find more information about these wizards? Well, their website is uh, www.pdqdecide.com. All right, I'm going to type this in, www.pdqdecide.com. Sharp website. Oh, they've got pricing listed on here. That's cool. Yeah, you don't see that very often. No, you definitely don't, but I love it. It looks tech, the tech looks sharp, uh, transparent with pricing, low cost. Everybody should give these guys a look. And we've got Ashley Gilmore on our podcast today, the CEO and founder of Tracts. And Tim, you know, it seems like he's in a pretty jovial mood. One might say he's happy. He's, happy he sounds Ashley. like it for sure. Happy Gilmore. Oh, there he went. I, I see how I didn't know where you were going with that. And then it, then it happened. Love Adam Sandler. Shout out New Hampshire. Not too many Jews from New Hampshire, but me and Adam Sandler both represent that. Um, anyways, hailing from way across the country from New Hampshire, almost as far as it can possibly get. Ashley, where did you grow up? You're Pacific Northwest somewhere, but why don't you give us a little bit about um, where you hailed from? Uh, you know, tell us about, you know, being a, a lawyer and then somehow jumping into oil and gas. Yeah. So I was actually born in Houston. My dad was in oil and gas. He was a geophysicist. Um, and so my background has like my childhood was kind of all around that. He's, he's primarily stuck with small startups during his career. So, you know, I remember going to his office frequently to, you know, whenever he was working on weekends. And so been around it and all kinds of barbecue um, competitions. I got lucky when I was a kid, got to go to Cytel. I don't know if you know who Cytel is, but they sure. they used to throw the most extravagant parties. Um, one memorable time, uh, I got kissed by Miss Indiana and Miss wow. Universe at the same time on a, on a yacht that they had like rented for a hydroplane race. So Back in the good old days. I'm going to say that that sounds like the good old days. <laughs> yeah. Um, but eventually he actually retired up to Washington. And so I finished high school up there and he told me not to get into oil and gas. So I went and got a business degree and that was, a you know, not super useful. Ended up getting into banking. Um, and then eventually from there got into uh, software, enterprise content management tools 
And the founder or one of the founders and CTOs of the company I was working for, which was Image, Image Source, uh, decided he wanted to go out and start his own company. And he needed some help with that. So he recruited me. And then I recruited my co-founder in tracks, David Dewey, longtime high school um, buddy of mine. And we went off and created Cloud Power, which helped companies convert to um, the cloud and become paperless. Uh, essentially, we exited that company um, pretty quickly and pretty successfully. And while I, we were waiting to get paid on, on that deal, I decided to go to law school. Um, when I was in law school, I was like, well, I'm going to have to get a job at some point. So I reached out to my dad and was like, I, I'm kind of interested in entrepreneurship law as well as I want to check out oil and gas, see if I have, you know, if there's any like network effect I can take advantage of. So he introduced me to John Cochran, who was the VP of land, I believe, or one of the land managers at, at Crimson Exploration and another, another buddy of his, uh, Brandon Giafani. Um, John got me a job as an intern uh, or actually more of like a job shadower of a landman out in the field, followed him uh, for a couple of weeks and just noticed that they were using note cards and legal pads and thought that was <laughs> insane. So went back and learned everything I could about oil and gas law. And um, the next summer I went to work for a law firm in Houston uh, and they were doing the same thing. They were using uh, legal pads, butcher paper, to run title, they tried to actually solve the problem. Uh, I guess invent their own version of what is now tracks. Uh, just weren't able to get it across the finish line. So myself, along with one of the attorneys there, started working on a business plan. Eventually, raised some money, and then tracks was off to the races. Cool. Yeah, that's a good story. So, you know, I guess you know you went to law school. And I've, I learned this kind of interesting, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, a guy who has a law degree, but is not actually a lawyer. So now I've, I didn't realize that. So are you actually a lawyer or you just got your uh, law degree? Now, this is interesting. A lot of people are going to cringe when they hear this. But my understanding is when you have a law degree, you're a lawyer. When you have a license to practice in the state that you're standing, you're an attorney. Yeah, I got so, that. That makes so, sense. But I could be wrong. So nobody on this podcast, please, you know, quote me. But <laughs> we're pretty, pretty sure uh, that's the, the right answer, though. So, Ashley, you and I met through Colin McClelland, uh, Digital Wildcatters, obviously, where this uh, podcast uh, is platformed. And I think that we met at uh, the Energy Tech Showcase, and then went out and had a couple drinks, me, you, Colin, and, and Charles Rowe, and immediately hit it off. And, and remember uh, connecting with you again at Urtech when it was up here in Denver. And it seemed like at that point, you guys had a few customers, but the customers you had were incredibly loyal and spoke really highly uh, of the value that Tracks could bring. Why don't you give the audience a sense of what your product does um, and sort of the business value it brings to oil and gas companies? Yeah, so Trax essentially helps oil and gas companies or mineral buyers uh, determine who owns the real property rights that they're they're going after. So if it's mineral buyers, they're looking for who owns the royalties um, so that they can buy the royalty. Um, if it's uh, an EMP company, they need to know who who has the executive rights so that they can so they can lease the minerals before they drill. Uh, doing that 
is extremely uh, expensive and fraught with mistakes and errors. And so what Trax does is it automates a huge portion of that and uh, basically does all the math behind um, the ownership uh, calculations for the landman and then builds all of the reports. So it's a dramatic reduction in time. So we've done head-to-head competitions against dozens and dozens of brokers. We, we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of data points now. We're consistently anywhere with just the computation engine two to ten times faster uh, than our closest competitor. Uh, nice. that, that, that is somebody not using tracks. And then we also have an interpretation library uh, that essentially allows clients to leverage their own private common title. And, and that actually can skyrocket the value that they get. So every document they add to tracks is accretive to all of the others. And so, you know, we've had a case that our number one case, test case, we were 38 times faster than another broker that was doing it in the Permian. And that was a head-to-head comparison. Uh, you know, we took exact same data sets that the broker was given um, and, and just ran the title 38 times faster. So when you say data sets, what is the data you're using? Is it from the state? Is it supplied by the organization? Where are you getting that? Yeah, so the data is collected from a lot of different sources, uh, but always provided by the client when they use tracks. Actually, we're coming out with some partnerships, hopefully, um, in, in the next quarter, where, you know, in, in essence, we will be providing data. Um, but uh, the data comes from digital courthouses like Inveris and um, Courthouse Direct or Texas File or uh, OK County Records, any, any digital courthouse, or actually from landmen out in the field where they're actually pulling documents and taking, taking images of those documents. The documents themselves have data in them, which is like grantee, grantor, what was actually being conveyed, legal descriptions, dates. There's like over 20 dimensions of, of ownership covered in each one of these documents. And so our system allows them to just focus on each document, extract that data, whether they got it from a digital courthouse or um, in person at a courthouse, uh, and, and then it does all the math from there. Yeah, and it's got a really nice visual, Tim. That's one of the things that stood out to me when I saw a brief demo is it sort of shows the flow of where the data goes, which I think today, obviously, with it being a manual process, there's nothing even remotely close to that. So just seeing point A to point B from the courthouse to this person, this is the ownership, it gives you a really kind of nice, seamless viewpoint. Tell me about the organization. Are you guys funded at this point? Uh, how many clients? How many employees? What are you guys looking at? Yeah, so um, our, you know, this last year, we didn't have as good of growth as we were hoping for. I think we grew uh, right around 90-something percent um, over, over 2019. And just to like, compare it, like 2019, we had 500% growth over 2018. So 2020 was rough for us. Um, we changed up the organization a little bit, um, but uh, we still have 17 employees right now. Um, so uh, we, we are growing. We're actually actively hiring uh, developers uh, in, in anticipation of these partnerships that we're trying to get across the finish line this year. Uh, and so uh, growing, uh, not as fast as I would have liked, but 2020 was 
you know, a bit of a challenge and at least we came out on the other side, right? And we were able to grow a little bit. We are funded. We're backed by Houston Ventures. Nice. Um, they've put in a few million dollars. Um, we've looked at doing another round. Um, we've received term sheets from a lot of the, the best um, best firms out, VC firms out there. Uh, just just haven't pulled the trigger on those yet. So. And the beauty is you're a lawyer, so you can just review all the documents and decide if it's a, a good deal. So save some money on the transactions. But listen, I mean, 2020 was tough. And, and Tim, what was it that Robin Williams' character said in um, Goodwill Hunting? It's not your fault. Yeah, it's not, well. it's not. It's not your fault. If you were here right now, Ashley, I'd give you a hug. It's, it's not your fault. We well, you know the, <laughs> the interesting thing about this. What 2020 was is that you can have a bad year just from incompetence as well. And you can always blame it on, well, it was 2020. You've got a pass. You always have a pass. Totally. That's that's what I'm going with. I didn't hit my sales targets last year. It's not my fault. I mean, it's I 2020. Got I got a pass. Yeah, it was 2020. <laughs> take that pass and take it to the bank. Oh, wait, you can't. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to wear a mask if I do. But um, so, I mean, still 90% growth, which is, which is exciting. Is, is your full team in Houston or are you guys disparate kind of around the country? Um, it's all around. So we have, you know, our two main people are, our two main areas are Houston, Fort Worth and Seattle. Seattle. Wow. So in all, in all seriousness about COVID, I was curious. So do you attribute the, the, inflection in your growth as a result of COVID directly, or is it the downturn associated with it? Or do you think uh, you have a good explanation for that? Well, actually, uh, the reason we turned down a lot of the term sheets that we were offered um, was because we had such huge opportunities in front of us uh, as 2020 started. So we had 500% growth in 2019 and going into 2020, we thought we'd have that same growth before the end of Q2. We had uh, a number of large deals that were going through uh, essentially pilots, um, some that were just starting, some that had finished, but uh, we have a super high conversion rate whenever we do get to pilot. And we're talking hundreds of thousands in monthly recurring revenue that we were expecting to close hey by, by the beginning of, of Q2. Um, yeah. And so uh, like essentially seven of those deals, so I'd say around 200 plus thousand dollars worth of recurring revenue um, disappeared in a period of seven days. And I'd say half of it disappeared, <laughs> half of it disappeared in, in one day, like with two of the largest publicly traded oil and gas companies, like just one just, it vanished. And then later that day, I mean, we'd already received, we were so far along in the contract negotiation, we'd already received the first check. Um, and, oh. and, and that, that disappeared. We got to keep the first check, but you know, so that's, that's where 2020, you know, I can point to and say, you know, maybe our growth wasn't what it should be. Cause I can literally point to, you know, a week where we lost seven contracts in a row, all, all due to the downturn. Yeah. I think, both Jeremy and I can empathize with that because, you know, I, we came into 2020, at least through my organization, we had, you know, a number of things that I was working on. It wasn't, you know, super robust, but, you know, in, in that two or three week period, there's just so many unknowns. Everybody pulled back. You know, if there was an option not to spend money, you didn't. And of course, you know, at the same time, we did the same thing to 
guys that I was working with, we were, we had a conference we were planning to go to. And we just finally had to say, Hey, no, uh, we paid you half, but we're not paying the rest. Right. So. Yeah. Unfortunately that story is, is across the board, not just in oil and gas too. I mean, I think it hit us harder because at the same time as COVID we had the almost like a triple whammy, right. With oil prices going negative and the Saudis and Russians starting to you know pump production it was just total madness, but you know, things appear to be looking up here in 2021. So, you know, the hope is if, if it wasn't a deal, then maybe it becomes a real deal. Now, clearly somebody saw the value in, in your solution. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your dad. Is your dad still in the oil and gas industry? Cause you mentioned that was sort of where this, the Genesis and your curiosity came from. Is he involved in your organization or is he still in the industry somewhere? Um, so he is not, uh, directly involved with tracks. Uh, he did, uh, put in a small investment, like the first round of in- investors, um, we had, we had, and, and this is almost laughable, but we raised, uh, before we even had a product, uh, you know, I was getting my co-founder David Dewey to start, um, developing the software. And he's like, man, we're still waiting on our cloud power money. And we had a couple of other things that we kind of missed um, in between. And so he's like, you need to, we need to get some cash in the door. Or I'm not coding this. So I was like, fine. So we went to friends and family and we, we raised like $35,000 of which I gave 25 to, to David. Um, <laughs> and uh, in that round, my dad participated in that round. So in that way, he's an investor in tracks. He's also um, made some key introductions at different times that have been useful um, he is not currently, uh, in the oil and gas industry. He had a, um, when we started, uh, tracks, he was the VP of exploration for Penn Virginia. Um, and then that, you know, kind of disappeared. Um, so he went and started his own thing. They were private equity backed by, um, TPH. Um, and then the downturn, I guess, hit them just as hard as it hit everyone else. And so he's, he's doing some consulting right now. He's actually working on, have you heard of uh, Saga Wisdom? You heard about that startup? Literally just book them to come on the podcast two months from now. That email exchange happened right before this pod started. Yeah, absolutely. Who are you talking to over there? Uh, to Mike. Okay. Techie. Okay, yeah. So I'm good friends with Dylan Lawheed. So he's, um, uh, I guess, one of the engineers that helped found it. He's one of the founders. So um, he's actually... so. At any rate, uh, he's working on um, some coursework for them. So he's excited. He's getting to give back to the community. He's um, doing a basic course, I think, on geophysics and geology and how to make, you know, how to make companies successful by selecting, you know, the most economic um, opportunities. All right, Ashley, I want to I want to take this a different direction now. So a few weeks ago. We had uh, Sean Forbes. No, Sean. What's your last name? Yeah, Sean Forbes. Sean Forbes on the on the call, or on our podcast. And uh, the funny part of the way that started was when we started the introductions to get uh, to get on the show. Um, the emails went through, and of course, I had no idea that Sean was actually a woman. And so I stuck my foot right in my mouth right away. And it strikes me, Ashley, that you probably had to go through some similar. Uh, situations like that. How's that been for you? I'm I'm not quite sure. Can, 
So what was what was the question? I didn't, I didn't hear the question. I'm sorry. No, just just saying. You know, obviously, people can easily, you know, in email. Oh, 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 without, oh, saying, oh you're saying because of my name, Ashley? Yeah, he's, he's yeah. asking if people accuse you of being a woman. Oh, oh, okay. I was like, where is he going with this? Okay, um, I, I don't. Bad get question. That. Bad question. I, I ha- it, it's the funniest thing because I act. The, you know, I'd never have an issue with it in oil and gas. I think some people take meetings maybe because they think I'm a girl or a female um, and then they're disappointed. But uh, the area where I actually feel this the most was actually pre-COVID. I didn't own a car at all. I just Ubered everywhere. And um, yeah. Uber drivers would just drive right past me. Like, you're not Ashley. and <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> never really so, thought about it that way. So, but not related to the industry. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, I don't get much of a hard time uh, because of my name, Ashley. Um, like, like I said, primarily Uber drivers. <laughs> I think Sean, Sean quickly corrected me. That was yeah, that was funny. Tim's just particularly sensitive because of his last name, but that's a you know that's a conversation for a different episode or really any episode for <laughs> conversation with. Well, Tim, I think you're a winner. Okay, yeah, you're well, a winner thank you very to, much. You're a winner to me. Good story about that. There was a guy named Phil Winter. He might even still be out there. He was an executive for, um, God, I forget the name of the company, but he was way up there. And their company, Tim, in Denver actually had interest in our product. And I wanted so bad to put you in the same room as Phil Winter. Well, let me tell you a story. Anyone who's been to Nashville. um, So I went to the SEC championship uh, tournament for basketball three or four years ago. And it's usually held in Nashville. The hotel that me and my best friend set up, we went to, was right across the street from Loser's Bar and Grill. Okay. Same same spelling? Same spelling. And then right next to it is Winners. But, you know, as soon as I saw that there's a Loser's Bar and Grill, I had, you know, obviously we had to go there. And so we head in and uh, the, the first, I walked straight up to the bartender, gave him my ID. And I said, look, if you've ever given anybody a free drink... (laughs) I'm your guy. And I just held it up and he called the manager over and we were set up for, you know, several free drinks, me and Chip to just, you know, based on my name, because no one could walk in with the hell losers, the last name or loser in my case. So anyway, I bought all the family t-shirts from losers nice. bar and grill. So oh, that's, nice. that's awesome. Well, Tim, you're a winner in my book. And then apparently Ashley's too. I get a lot of commentary on my last name. Also, people don't believe that funk is really the last name. They're like, no, come on. Like you, you changed it. Like, no, I'm lucky. My kids might not say we're lucky, but I feel like I'm lucky. There's an insurance agency in uh, Washington called, I think it's Vern Funk. Insurance, and that guy's super rich. So Dude, you find, find out if you're related to that guy. Seriously. All of the rich funks, man, they, they didn't seem to make it into my lineage. But it's actually, Funk is actually more of a popular last name than you'd believe. Because I think from whatever part of like the Poland-Germany border came over here, a lot of people had like funk something like Funkhauser, Funkowitz, Funkenstein. And then it, get, it got cut off because they're like, that's too much to write down. You're funk in America. Go. And it's a great name for nicknames. Yeah. The, the easiest, the easiest. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your uh, favorite oil cities to visit. I know that COVID has kind of put a, a damper in that, but I, I know that you enjoyed traveling when you had the opportunity. Where, where do you like to go and do business and, and make contacts? 
Well, um, I, I love Tulsa, um, which, you know, I, I guess probably not a lot of people have been to Tulsa, but um, I, I love Tulsa. I think it's a great town. Um, it. A lot of the same reasons I love Fort Worth. I, I live in Fort Worth now, but um, I didn't previously. So I, you know, didn't really understand how great Fort Worth was. Most of the time I said it to Dallas. Um, so love Fort Worth, but now I live here, so I don't get to visit it. I just get to be here all the time. Um, Tulsa, OKC is good. Uh, Denver, you know, I, I, I like Denver. I love Denver, um, but it's kind of, it's not as cool, I don't think, as, as Tulsa, which is kind of weird. But I think Tulsa just has that smaller feeling. Um, uh, uh, another city I like that, um, that I don't get to travel to for work, but as an oil and gas city is, is actually Calgary. In fact, one of my favorite oh, yeah. hotels is at the Calgary airport. Uh, the Sandman? No, no, not the, not the one across the street, the one in, in the, in the airport. <laughs> nice. and, and the reason is, is because I've done the, so I've stayed there multiple times. I actually have a place in Banff. And so I, I was going, you know, I go there, before, you know, pre COVID once every six weeks or so. And, you know, if I had an early flight, I just stay in the, I think it's a Marriott. And what's amazing is you can get from your room in, and, and into the lounge in under six minutes. You know, it's like. Through security? So you're inside security for that? It, yeah. No. So you have to go through security. You can get from that hotel, depending, you know, this is a morning flight. So probably not a lot of people in the security line. But, and even there, uh, actually the security line at, at the Calgary airport is pretty efficient because. They have those automated, um, you know. Oh, the kiosk. Yeah, so it's all automated. You can just fly through it. So, yeah, I've I've timed it more than more than once, and it's always been under six minutes to get from hotel room into the lounge, which is incredible. Oh, so that is pretty good. Huge perk. Yeah, Jeremy and I both have an affinity for uh, for Calgary. We've Love been it. there many times. I think that uh, you know uh, Jeremy's had a little tear in his eye. When you uh, when you rank Tulsa above yeah, Denver, you're crapping on Denver and and propping up Tulsa. I mean, come on. No, but I, I'll say this too. Um, Tulsa is pretty badass. I know we we've had some episodes with people coming on from Tulsa. A company I work for, W Energy Software, uh, is based in Tulsa, and I was actually there last week, as I like to call it, a beautiful six day five night retreat on the Arkansas River even though I barely left the hotel at all because we were in trainings and, and meetings. But I'll tell you what, man, the restaurant scene there has really come up. I mean, there's some super hip, excellent spots. It's still not that expensive because it's Tulsa, um, but I dig it. It's a neat town. No, their restaurant scene, their art scene, their uh, nightlife. They've got a bunch of great spots for, um, for grabbing drinks. And also the people are just like genuinely nice there. The difference oh, yeah. in... I mean, in Denver, you know, it's cold a lot. You know, I love Denver. I love Denver, but it's just like, I feel like just Tulsa is an easier city to take in everything. Whereas Denver, you know, you could miss stuff. Whereas in Tulsa, you kind of get to go see it and do it and and enjoy it. I don't know. What you don't miss is like the weird gargoyles and cryptic, obscene things that are in the airport. If you keep a close eye in Denver. One thing. Oh, <laughs> never are we on to the airport conspiracy again? Tim, I'm never going to let go of that. I need everybody to be more aware of what happens when you walk into that place. It's super weird. Super <laughs> weird. Crazy large airport, though. Denver airport. It's the biggest. That's the least of 
my concerns with that airport. <laughs> you, you mentioned something I wanted to, to hit on, and uh, you said you used to just kind of go up to Dallas and you weren't in Fort Worth much. You know, I, I go to both towns quite a bit, and I've always been amazed at two towns so close together, considered to be the same metroplex, but so different in culture. And people, and people all yeah. lump, lump them together. But now that you live in Fort Worth and you've been to Dallas a bunch, I mean, what is it the same when you're living there? Oh, absolutely. So it's, and it's why I like Fort Worth. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about Dallas, but. Uh, oh, come on. We can do that. Fort, Fort, Worth, Fort, Fort Worth people just seem more down to, you know, down to earth, more willing to help. Um, I'm not saying that Dallas people won't, folks won't do the same, but, um, but when I'm in Fort Worth, I just, you know, the, the restaurant scene, you know, the, like everything about the city, you know, is, is pretty nice in my opinion. So it's very walkable. I live right next to the TCU campus. Um, you know, the zoo is one of the best zoos in the country. Um, I just actually got a membership to the botanical garden so that my daughter can run around, um, without me having to worry about it. I just, you know, it, Fort Worth is like a massive small town. So it has absolutely everything you need and somehow it has nothing I, you don't need really. You know, I just feel like it's, it's just, it's just like the perfect size. It's got great restaurants, great, great people. Um, I really don't have anything bad to say, but you know, I, I am biased. I live here now and I have lived here during COVID. So maybe like all the bad stuff about Fort Worth has just been inside in their houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I dig it, man. Uh, you know, I've, I like Dallas. I mean, here you are crapping on every other city besides Tulsa and Fort Worth. I, I get it. But uh, one of my friends, Brian Whitson, he has lived in Dallas for years and he ended up um, getting engaged and married to a girl from Fort Worth. And it was just the biggest struggle to get her to move to Dallas because he had this nice house in Dallas and she eventually moved there. And I was like, what, what was it? Like, what made you do it? And she's like, well, this particular part of Dallas feels more like Fort Worth. I'm like, great. However you need to justify it, you justify it. But nonetheless, I mean, it was, uh, it's funny, the, the kind of the subtle rivalry. And I think from a, a size perspective, Tim, it's like the fourth biggest city in the country and the ninth biggest city Fort like Fort Worth is that big. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's big. You know, and, my observation from afar, and I, I've only visited them. I've never lived there. And I, I also, similar to Houston, the difference between Houston and Dallas, Dallas always seems, seemed, certainly 20 years ago, to have more social rules. It's like, oh, no, we don't go there because we're not this or we're not that or we, you know, we don't have the right clothes on. Whereas in Fort Worth and in some parts of Houston, you can be at a, a nice restaurant and there's a guy with cut off shorts and a t-shirt and then the guy next to him is wearing a three-piece suit yeah i feel that yeah fort worth you can just smoke weed in the streets and it's no big deal Dallas, no, no, that, that's denver sir oh, <laughs> Dallas, yeah that's denver that's denver and calgary it, it's definitely calgary i remember smelling the smelling some skunk on the streets of calgary it's like what are you doing outside you should be it's too cold outside what are you doing yeah um, it was it was legal in denver first though i think or, or did I get that wrong? I think and, you're right. I think yeah. you're right. But they, in Calgary, they didn't allow anything except um, essentially smoking in pill form. So none of the candy or anything like that, but uh, that you can get in Denver. I'm not an expert, but um, 
I think they've loosened those laws in, in Canada since. So interesting. They never seem to care up there. I don't know. That was my take. Meh. You know, so back to tracks real quick. So um, how has your company responded? How did it, the, okay, we know how it affected the business, but as far as, you know, being, having to adjust on the fly in, you know, just a couple of weeks, you know, send everyone home. How big of an adjustment was that for you guys? So a lot of us worked remote already. I mean, our dev team was up in Seattle and they don't go to an office. They just work at their different homes, uh, which are pretty far apart from each other. Um, in uh, Fort Worth, actually, we just set up the office in Fort Worth and, uh, you know, people were going to the office every day, but tracks enables landmen to essentially work from, you know, work remote pretty easily. Uh, so, uh, people were very easily able to do that. They prefer it. Uh, I, I do think you lose a lot of your culture and it's hard to keep, uh, when you start working remote, people become disconnected and, and maybe that's good. Um, cause you know, then you can improve family life and things like that. Um, overall as a company though, we learned some, you know, we, we took, we took the time during 2020 to learn about our customers a little bit more. We did a lot of analysis, uh, on our business and our business model. And so we're actually coming out with uh, a new product that hopefully eventually pushes people towards, towards tracks, but we're going to actually start selling interpretations of documents. Um, we're looking at doing that in partnership with a, a major data provider um, in the next quarter or two. So hopefully you cool. guys will hear about that soon. But what we learned is essentially uh, EMP companies, mineral buyers, they like their relationships with their brokers. We, I mean, we always knew that, but I mean, we just didn't know how much of a stranglehold they had on the business. So we should not try to augment that uh, or try to get in the way of that relationship at all. Um, and at the same time, you know, even, even if you could get them to use brokers, uh, you, you know, you, you use your own brokers, they're still going to still have issues because they have that such a strong relationship with their past brokers. And so what we've done with the interpreted documents is we're just uh, essentially preemptively doing some of the work that um, those landmen might have to do. So uh, it's not like we're taking work from them. We also learned that they that these companies will not just buy answers. So we thought about before we came up with the interpreted documents, we thought, well, maybe we'll just run all the title and and sell it to clients. But mm-hmm. we learned that the clients themselves really don't want answers given to them. They want to get to their own answers and they want to use their own people. And so we believe that interpreted documents is the answer to that problem because we're not going to tell them what the answer is. You know, they still have to calculate the answer and we're not going to tell them what people to use. They can still use their old landmen and those landmen won't have to use tracks. They should use tracks, but, and it would be better, but, <laughs> but when they buy the interpreted documents, um, it will have just essentially we've extracted all of the major data points relevant for doing the computation out of the documents and provided it to them in a very summarized format. So it should take the landman a fraction of the time it used to, 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 to run the title. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what evolves. I think you've had a, you've taken the long view of this thing. You guys have been really measured 
you know, I look forward to seeing more partnerships, uh, more money coming into your organization and, and seeing where you take it, man. I think, man, I'm looking forward to some press releases from you. Yeah, man. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. We'll get some press releases. I'll, I'll, I'll do one, uh, because of this podcast. So as soon as you guys are ready, I'll put out Ashley Gilmore was on, uh, tipping the barrel, you know, tripping over the barrel. Sorry. Not um, to be confused with our friend, lady friends, flipping the barrel. Flipping the barrel. Flipping the barrel. Yeah. Is that what that one is? So, okay. That's what I was curious. If you guys were kind of partnered with them or, or how's that? I know like it's. have them on. That, that's the, we're having conversations. We're, we're going to be trying to get them on soon. Well, the reason I was confused is because if you look at this Zencast uh, software that you're using, you're actually listed as julie on here jeremy <laughs> so everyone, everyone comments on this now it's just julie's login i think she set up the zencaster accounts colin's wife and that's that's it but i mean tim you asked him the question about remote work remote work dude he's a millennial like wh- what do you think he's going to say no i make everyone come into the office every day of course they're doing remote stuff oh you'd be surprised you'd be surprised there is, is a pull there is a massive pullback you know where people are like We've, it's hard to innovate. It's really hard to innovate. And it's even harder to do it remote 100% of the time. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about, actually, my wife works for a massive company, Schneider Electric. They have 150,000 employees uh, globally. Um, and my understanding is they're trying to drop their real estate footprint, like, significantly. And my whole thing is, you cannot, like, big companies or even small companies need the next um, generation to come in and fill the jobs as people leave and, 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 and go different directions, et cetera. If, if it's all remote, how do you train those people? You know, how do you get them uh, tied into the company culture? How do you get, you know, how do you build um, the relationships and the expertise if it's just over a zoom call? I think it's really challenging. Uh, I think that's that's your next opportunity. Figure out a way to monetize that. Well, that's some of the saga wisdom stuff and other, you know, training and knowledge management platforms. To me, that's another 36 minute podcast conversation. But (laughs) one of the things that I thought was funny was our CEO, Pete, sent an email yesterday that cracked me up and he listed all these reasons for why, hey, we think June 1st, we're going to start bringing people back into the Tulsa and the, the Houston offices. And one of the main reasons he pointed out, he's like, I'm just getting really fat at home right now. (laughs) I didn't realize how much I I actually moved and like walked around the office. And I looked at the scale right after Thanksgiving and I'm like, Oh my God. It's like, so I'm back in like, whether you guys want to come back in or not, it doesn't matter. I'm back in. So, well, that's what the 19 after COVID means. 19 pounds, (sighs) man, the quarantine 15, the COVID 19. Yep. Anyways, Ashley, man, thank you so much for coming on today. We had fun. Um, if folks want to find you, uh, what's the, what's the website and, uh, how can they reach you? Yeah, they can reach me at Ashley at tracks.co that's T R A C T S.co, uh, or they can go to our website, which is just tracks.co and that's T R A C T S.co. Uh, but honestly, the best way is just email me. Uh, you can also email any generic, generic, not generic, generic email address like info or you know, expertise or whatever at tracks.co and it will all get forwarded to, you know, someone on the team. Uh, so yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from anyone that wants to learn about tracks. And I really appreciate you having us on the show, Jeremy really do. Um, and thanks. Um, 
Uh, is it loser or lose? Lose. Oh, lo- oh loser. there. It's <laughs> it's been great to meet you, Tim. Um, so uh, just glad to be on the show. Thanks for coming on. <laughs>